this podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. One of the definitions of repent means to do a 180. So repentance, guys, isn't just, just what I say out of my mouth. There, there does need to be a sincerity about repenting. I mean, there's, there have been times in my life, and, and I'm just, this may expose just how ugly and uh, evil I was before I got born again, but man, there's times in my life I can begin to repent, and I, I will literally just begin to weep with the compassion of God. That I'm, I'm very grateful for what Jesus has done for me. Last week I was at a pastor's conference down in Dallas and I was around another pastor. And he began to ask me, he said, tell me about your background. And I said, oh, my background is not real good. And I began to share as a teenager some of my past. And the compassion of God came on me right there that I began to weep. And he said, it's all right, go ahead. And then he began to tell me about his background. And he said, mine wasn't very normal either. He said, I was abandoned as a child when I was four. I grew up in an orphanage as an orphan. And he said, you don't know this about me, but he said, I am a felon. I cannot vote in any elections. And he begins to weep. And guess what I got to do? I got to hug him and say, go ahead, brother, weep. It's okay. And so me and him both, we just begin to weep right there just because of the goodness of God. Now, that's not what we're talking about totally today. We will get into being repentive again. Look with me in Mark 8, and I told you we're going to fill in the blankets some things. Mark 8, verse 22. Then Jesus came to Bethesda, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Now, two things real quick on this. Jesus wasn't going to Bethesda. He was going through Bethesda. And this blind guy here that he heals, he's not from Bethesda either. Scripture will show this, okay? Verse 23. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now picture that when Jesus grabbed him by the hand, in in a nutshell, I believe Jesus was saying, listen, it's my will to heal you, but not in this town. I won't do that. So it goes on to say that Jesus spit in his eyes, put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Jesus healed him spiritually and physically is what he does there. Note verse 26. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now, as I begin to read this, I think, What's up with all this, Lord? Now, first of all, you said that you wouldn't pray for him, in that town, and now after you heal him, you tell him to go home. But evidently his home wasn't in Bethesda because he said, don't go into that town or don't tell anyone in that town. So as I looked at that, I thought, what is Jesus talking about here? What is up with this town? Now, when I I begin to study this out, guys, I begin to have to cross-reference some things to look where he was going with this. I want you to skip over to to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and this will give us an insight on why Jesus said this, but I want you to note also as you're turning there, Jesus never said anything just for the fun of it. When Jesus said something, there was always purpose. So I encourage you, when you read your Bible, ask Jesus to show you the purpose. 
Just to begin to say, man, Lord, help me with this. Show me what's going on. And it's amazing how Jesus will begin to open the eyes of your understanding. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to rebuke. Now, that word rebuke there means to denounce or reproach. So he, he denounces the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Now think about what he just said here. He's, he's evidently done a lot of healing and a lot of miracles in these cities, but he rebukes them. Why did he rebuke them? Look at the last part of that, uh, that sentence there. Because they did not repent. They did not repent. So right here it begins to show me some insight on where we're going. Verse number 21, woe. Now the word woe was never meant to be good. When you see woe in the Bible, actually it's a, a denunciation. He's denouncing something. And Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin. Now that was a city. And woe to you, Bethesda. Now I want you to know right there what he just said. Woe to you, Bethesda. Now remember, we just read why Jesus would never do anything in Bethesda. So this begins to give me a little bit more insight. These two woes right here are to remind future generations, I can't turn my back on Jesus, okay? How many of us in here have seen Jesus do things, whether it's miracles, healing, saving, uh, saving people? And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we get hard-hearted and we just turn our back to Jesus. I believe this is what the people of Bethesda did. Now, he keeps going on and says here, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Once again here, it tells me the people of Bethesda, guys, they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn to Jesus. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Now, Hades, guys, is, is a region of hell. It's a region of the dead. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so, the greater the opportunity to hear and to believe and receive Jesus like these guys had, calls for a greater condemnation or judgment to the ones that don't. Now, there's two passages in here that I want to point out. The first thing is in, in verse 21 when he talked about sackcloth and ashes. We're going to look at that. And then the last one will be in Genesis 18 where he said it will be more tolerable for Sodom than you. When it talks about sackcloth and ashes in verse 21, the cross-reference of this is found in Jonah chapter 3. Go with me to Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to look at this and just see what the Bible says about this. Now, if you don't know where Jonah is, it's right after Obadiah and right before Micah. In my Bible, it is page 1196, which probably will not help you one bit, okay? Jonah chapter 1. I, I believe just what we read there in Matthew 11, it gives us a little insight about Bethesda, that they had grown hard-hearted toward the things of God. Me and you can grow hard-hearted 
toward the things of God if I'm not careful. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness. And so when I look at this, God's concerned about the people of Nineveh. He's so concerned about it that their outcry has come up before him, and so God wants to help him here. He wants to help those people. When I look at the city of Nineveh and it talks about its wickedness, I want you to think about cities in our nation that we could identify as wicked. Um, just for an instance here, what is uh, Las Vegas, Nevada known as? Sin City. But do you think there's any righteous left in, in Vegas? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of righteous. There's some great churches out there. So just because some of these cities are ungodly, there's still some righteous. How about New Orleans? If you've ever been to New Orleans, New Orleans is a dark place, especially around Mardi Gras. Is there righteous people in New Orleans? Absolutely. There's some great churches there. Actually, when you, you look up the West Coast, specifically from Northern California through Oregon and Washington, those are some of the hardest places in the United States for churches. Those places are so dark. But are there believers still in those places? Absolutely. Now, I was told this, that the other side of San Francisco and Oakland and that Bay Area, there's a city called Berkeley. That's where the University of California is. That is one of the darkest places in America. They proclaim there's no churches there. And so there are areas of our land that are very wicked. Now, in times that I've prayed before, and God may have dealt with you on this, I would say, Lord, why do we pray over those cities? And he would say, pray for the righteous of those cities. Pray over the right. I still have people there in those cities. So I believe in this passage here, God's concern was there's still people in those cities that need the Lord. So in this passage right here, he goes on and he tells this guy named Jonah, he said, I need you to go to Nineveh. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the rest of it here for just a minute. Instead of Nineveh, going to Nineveh, Jonah takes a ship to a place called Tarshish. In other words, he directly disobeys God. While he disobeys God and he gets on this ship to Tarshish, he gets out in the sea, the sea starts rocking so bad that the mariners that are on the ship with him, they realize something's wrong, and they finally figure out that something is wrong is this guy named Jonah. And I can tell you right now, it does not pay to run with or hang out with people that are running for God. How many of you have ever run from God? I tell you, I've run from God, and it's not good. You remember the story, they throw Jonah overboard, and this whale comes in and just sucks old Jonah up. That's incredible to me. This is going to be one of my favorite reruns in heaven. I can't wait to see this, but I get a glimpse of it. Now, in saying that, what do you think happens while you're in the, the belly of a whale? Not a whole lot, because guess what? God's got your undivided attention while you're in there. There is no ESPN, I promise you. There's not a McDonald's. Can you imagine the smell? And there's no telling what he's bumping into down there. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. But there's times in our life that God will do things to get your undivided attention because God loves you. Now, there's three types of people in this earth. Ones that learn by hearing and listening and heeding the things of God. That's the best way to learn. The second area is like many of you and like me, 
we learn the hard way. This is Jonah. He's learning the hard way. Usually when you learn the hard way, you're going to cause pain to your life and you're going to cause pain to your family members. I promise. That was me. The third one is ones that just never learn. That's not good. So at the end of chapter 2, God causes this whale to go right up on this beach and rock, and old Jonah comes flying out. Now, isn't that going to be awesome to see that? How would you like to be at, at the beach in California, be sitting out there on your blanket and look, and all of a sudden this whale comes out, rock, and this guy comes rolling out? I mean, that, that is incredible. Now listen, this is, this is truthful. Not that I wouldn't be truthful. But I had a guy one day ask me, he said, do you believe all those stories in the Bible? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I love the, those things come alive to me. And he said, what will happen if you find out that none of those were true? And I said, well, I believe that the stories in the Bible still benefited me. At least I lived a good life and I felt like I was helping people and I wasn't causing a lot of pain. And I said, but what if they are true? And he looked at me and I said to him, I said, I don't believe I want to risk that option. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just said that, okay? <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Woo, God's a God of a second chance, okay, right here. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. Now, I want to highlight something, and I encourage you, you may do your own little study on this. I'm going to really dig into this thing that talks about 40 days. When you look in the Bible, 40 days means the days of completion. How do you know that? Well, when Noah was on the ark, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses was up on the mountain, he was up there 40 days. I jumped to the New Testament and in Matthew 4, where it says when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days. When Jesus rose from the grave in Acts 1, it said before he ascended back into heaven with Father God, 40 days. So over and over again in the Bible, you see something about completion. I wonder in me and you's life, if there isn't seasons or testings, that there's something to do with 40 days and ours. You know what I can tell you? Don't quit. Don't give up. Some of you, the best thing you can hear today is keep standing and living on the Word of God, okay? Don't quit, okay? Verse number 6, or 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. One translation said they believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Now, when I begin to look at this, you'll see this in the Old Testament many times, even with King David. 
They would put on sackcloth and, and they would cover themselves with these ashes. What did that represent? It represented that they were repentive, but they also mourned. I believe there was a, a, a repentance, but a grieving in their heart to say, Man, Father God, I'm, I'm so sorry for what we've done. And this is what started happening in this city called Nineveh. They begin to repent and they begin to grieve. Verse 7. And it caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Now they were in a fast there. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Just right there, that verse, I believe, gives us an insight on Bethesda. That they were bound by wickedness and they would not repent and they would not turn from their evil ways. Now, you know, if, if you've been coming to this church very long, every January, we start the year with a fast. Most of the time, the emphasis of our fast has been we we, we got to get away from eating, drinking certain things, and seek God. I really, really sense this, that this coming year, it's going to be more targeting the things of our flesh to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast this. I'm going to fast that. And that could look different for every one of us. But the point here right now is this. I want you to see they cried mightily to God and they said, turn from their evil way. Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works. What did God see? That they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said and he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So Nineveh's repentance, guys, it released God's mercy. It shows right here that when a people will begin to repent and turn from their wicked ways, God moves. Let me ask you right now. Judge your heart. Do you got wickedness in you? Do you got sin in you? If you do, i got to repent from it. i got to turn to God. Now, in reading that, in verse 8 and verse 10, it shows me a lot about the condition of Bethesda. They wouldn't repent. And they would not turn from their wickedness. That's what all this shows me right here. Look with me into the book of Genesis, chapter number 18. Genesis 18 and this is in reference, guys, to Jesus' words in uh, Matthew eleven twenty four, when he said, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for you. Genesis chapter 18. Now, when you begin to read here in Genesis, and I encourage you to read Genesis 18 and 19, but it refers to here several times to men. A lot of the times that it's referring to here with men is in reference to angels. We talked about this a little bit last week. That, that is uh, Hebrews 13.2. That many of us have entertained angels and we were unaware of it. How many of you have ever thought, I wonder if that was an angel. Have any of you ever had that happen? Where you, That's happened to me. 
And it happened to me in a bizarre place. But after what took place, I said to Shelly one day, I said, I believe that was an angel. I believe that was an angel. So this is what's going on. There was some angels that were sent to this region. Look with me in Genesis 18, start in verse 16. Then the men, or the angels, rose from there, looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what am I doing? Now this was God speaking. And he said, I don't want to hide from Abraham, who was a man, a human, just like me. And you, God wants to, to include us in stuff. Why did God say that here? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations shall be blessed in him. That's why God wanted to tell him, he wanted to show him, this is what I'm going to do here on earth. Verse 19, for I have known him, I've known Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. You know, one reveals his values to his children by the way he lives and the way he commands them to live. You know what that means, men? We're the example. We become the example of our homes. You're the poster child. Does that make you want to say amen? Does that want you to say oh me? See, I look at this. This is why God was so, so big on Abraham. He knew Abraham would teach his children the things of God. That's not my job to save my kids, but it is my job to point them in the right direction. It is my job to command my children after the things of God. That's for each one of us. This is why, again, God said, man, Abraham's my boy. He'll do it. Verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave or exceedingly grievous, I will go down now and see where they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and he said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now this is where I got back over on those cities a minute ago, whether it was Las Vegas and those places. Abraham asked God this question. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now Abraham, man, he gets really bold with God. And he becomes like an auctioneer. And he said, God, would you destroy it if they're 50? God said, nope, 45. Nope, 40. 35, 30, 25, 20. Look how far Abraham goes in verse 32. Look at this. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 people should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it. For the sake of ten. The Lord wanted Abraham to know the opportunity for human beings to repent is always available. And he also reassured Abraham, if there's ten righteous in that city, I won't destroy it. Now think back into the place called Bethesda. 
He said, don't go near there. Don't tell them nothing. It shows me that the heart of the whole city of Bethesda had gotten hard toward God. I can't let my heart get hard toward God, guys. Part of the way that my heart stays tender toward God in my own life is when I repent. How many have ever been really crusty where the things of God are tough? A lot of times in my life it's either because I hadn't spent time with God or I've got sin in my life that hadn't been repented of. So right here he tells him all this. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And I'm going to stop right there. I'm just going to read that verse and then I'm going to jump a little farther. Let me tell you about these two angels real quick. One of them's assignment was specifically to destroy Sodom. That was it. Totally. The second angel, his name was Raphael. And Raphael's, his job was to save Lot, which was Abraham's nephew. Now pick up with me in chapter 19, verse 12. And this will answer some more questions as far as concerning what we read about Bethesda. And remember, I said earlier, this stuff that, that, that the Lord preached here, guys, it was a warning to future generations. In other words, we better heed this, okay? History repeats itself. There's only two times that God destroyed the people of the earth. In Noah's days, because they would not repent, and right here in Sodom. Chapter number 12, or verse 12, chapter 19, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. Now I circle that big in my Bible, and you say, why would you circle that big? Think about before Jesus prayed for the blind man in Bethesda. What did he do? He took him out of that place. He took him out. And right here, the angels tell him, get him out of this place. Get him out of here, okay? Verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. You're always going to find people on this earth that will think the Bible's a joke. They'll think Jesus is a joke. I know people that think heaven and hell's a joke. Judgment, that's a joke. Not to me, it's not. And all that comes from this book right here. That you begin to study it and you begin to realize, guys, the day's coming. The day's coming. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 52, it says that in a blink of an eye, in a twinkling of an eye, in a moment, Jesus will be back. And Scripture is very clear be ready. That not one person, not even Jesus himself, knows that day or that hour. But I can guarantee you this. He's coming back. He's coming back. Verse 15. 
When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest they be consumed in the punishment of this city. Note something in that verse right there. His sons-in-laws aren't mentioned. They're no longer there. I don't say this with great satisfaction to look at people and say, I told you so. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, I told you so. I'm going to tell you guys, this stuff becomes very serious to me. When I look and I see the reality of all this, I wake up to say, don't let your heart grow hard, okay? Verse number 16. And while he lingered, and you know what's very, very interesting? When I studied this out about why he lingered, it said here that like most human beings, Lot didn't want to leave his possessions. He lingered because of the things of this earth that he had accumulated. All his possessions. He had a bunch too, guys. But Lot had had caused the, the city of Sodom to leave its mark upon him. Where he was consumed with those things. Now the New Testament says we can, we can gain the whole world but lose our soul. Think about this just for a minute here. What are the things in your life that you're really attracted to that really have a hook in you that will perish? Let me give you a little insight on my thought right there. Everything in this earth is going to perish except people. Wow. And so right here, I look at this and I think, Father God, help us. Help us. Help us never to get like the the people of Bethesda, where we take the things of God for granted and we act like, eh, it's no big deal. Do you know what? Going to church on Sunday, it's no big deal. You know what? It may not be a big deal to society, but it's a big deal to God. Because God said, honor me on the Sabbath. And God said, don't forsake the assembling together. Now, I don't believe when God said that stuff, it was multiple choice. I believe these things were commands. And he looks and says, okay, who's going to obey? Who's going to obey? So he lingered. The man took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Just like Jesus did that blind man. So it came to pass when they brought him outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Now we can read the next few verses here. You can read them on their own. Lot was an older guy, and he didn't think he could make it where the Lord said to go. So the Lord said, Okay, go to this small city called Zor. When you read that, that's what it is. Zor is a small city, but it got him out of, out of there. In verse 23, pick back up with me. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Now remember, God told them, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy this place. And he did it. 
So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She didn't heed the things of God. She looked back when she was instructed not to. You think that was God's will for now? God's desire wasn't for that, but God told her this is what's going to happen. See, we can read the scriptures over and over, and Jesus says, in a twinkling of an eye, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And some will go and some won't. So ultimately, what, what I see between Bethesda and Capernaum and Chorazin, the ones we read, when you look at what happened in Sodom, they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't change. But when I look at what happened to the people of Nineveh that said, I'm going to repent, I'm going to get my heart right, God moved. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, He who conceals, hides, or whitewashes his sin will not have mercy. But whoever repents, God will show him mercy. Whoever confesses. See, every one of us in this room, we have the same opportunity to do that. But many times we don't. We don't want to heed the things of God. We don't want to listen to that. Repentance, guys, it keeps me in, in line with God. It keeps my heart right. Maybe you're here today. You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Listen, all you've got to do is make Jesus Lord of your life one time. You receive Him with your heart and say, Jesus, come in and be Lord and Savior of my life. And then after that, any time you blow it, be repentive. You've heard me say the best daily vitamin you can take is just repent. Just repent. Get up and say, Father God, I blew it again today. I don't want to do that, but ask Him to help you to turn. But here's the third thing I want to throw at you today. Have you mocked the things of God? Have you looked at the things of God as like a joke? Maybe you have. Do you know, before I got born again, I joked about stuff like that. I would tell people that were believers, I'd say, I can't believe you'd put your trust in someone you can't even see. I can't believe you'd put your trust in a book. But oh, how my heart's changed when I started reading the Bible and Jesus came on the inside of me. That I won't joke about these things. You know what I can tell you right now? We don't play with a paycheck here. We play with eternity. Eternity. And I'm, I'm not speaking fire and brimstone. I'm speaking the love of God, the mercy of God, that God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He just doesn't love some of the stuff I do. I was at this pastor's conference the other day. 4,000 pastors. One of them started speaking about many times in our life, we, we have areas of our life that continue to dominate us. Some may be sinful. Some may just be addictions, ugly habits. And he said, but so many times, that, that is from the devil. The devil tries to come after us. And he brought up the passage with Peter, and Jesus said to Peter, he said, listen, buddy, and Peter was a believer. Peter had been with Jesus for three years, and he said, the devil wants to sift you out like wheat. 
And he said, there's some of you pastors in here that you are dominated by stuff of your flesh here. The devil keeps coming after you and he keeps coming after you in areas of your life. And he said, if that's you, I want you to stand up. Probably 90% of the 4,000 pastors were there that stood up. And some of you say, did you stand up? I stood up with my hands and my feet and my toes all raised. And I said, oh, Father God, help me. Help me. I don't want to be dominated by anything but Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.